The other week, when the church was open for private prayer, um, we had a visitor from another congregation, um, a lady in our community that many of you will be, who are listening to this will know, Lorna Kamak. Perhaps some of you, when you hear her name, think, oh my goodness, what next? Um, because Lorna is well known in our community for her enthusiastic support, and indeed not just support, her enthusiastic leadership of the Uddingston Music Festival that has happened every year for the past number of years. Um, sometimes her enthusiasm perhaps gets the better of her and people get a wee bit frustrated or otherwise with her. Um, but as a church, we've supported the music festival over um, these years and indeed usually one of the biggest events that takes place takes place in our church indeed one of the last social gatherings before the lockdown was in february when we had a, a concert with alistair mcdonald a very well supported concert and so lorna was at the church for private prayer but when she came out she began to talk to me what was what was my thoughts on addingston music festival 2021 well <laughs> I'm afraid to say I don't really have many thoughts on that um, because apart from anything else, as time goes on and as we're hearing now that they're saying that this virus may hang about with us for some considerable period, for a year or perhaps even more, then the thought of even a music festival at the present time is just, well, it is somewhat in the area of fantasy. And especially when at the present time not only are number, numbers limited to come into a church building or indeed to any place of gathering, um, but we all have to wear masks and certainly audience participation isn't allowed, singing isn't allowed. Um, and that's sad because music generally is something that lifts the spirits and stirs the soul. Um, whatever type of music we might be in, we all have different tastes and we all appreciate different styles of music. Most people find music a way of expressing their own emotions, a way of um, meeting with, in a sense, and, and working through emotions, and a way of being stirred and encouraged. And interesting, often people who are actually quite deaf still hear music, and the, the vibrations of the musical instruments and of the sound itself still enters into their mind and into their heart and can bless them and can speak to them. Music is the very essence of the human soul, and yet, at the present time, in church, in worship, we can't sing. Now, there are those of us, of course, who say, well, that doesn't really matter. We can still worship God quietly. And I hasten to add, that is ultimately, of course, very true. Paul is the one who says that our spiritual worship isn't actually what we do outwardly in terms of singing or shouting or any other outward exclamation, but is within the renewal and transformation of our heart. That is our spiritual worship, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, and also, of course, sound can be communicated in different ways. When we talk about singing, we usually think of things that are reasonably melodic and have instrumentation that goes along with it and involves our vocal cords. But of course, sound more generally can be expressed, a shouting or exclamation or something else can be an expression of our emotions, our feelings or our, or our heart. What about singing? How central is it? To worship. How central is sound to worship before God? Well, get your Bibles out because we're going to go in a whistle-stop tour through the Bible. Um, and I hope as we go through, we'll see that actually um, music and singing and all of that is integral to who we are and therefore rightly central in an expression of our love of God and of our trust in God.
in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, and of course, foundationally, the book of Genesis is vital. It lays out for us so many foundational principles for life and for the way things are and for who we are and for our knowledge of God and, and everything else. In the book of Genesis chapter 4, we read, of course, the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain, of course, murders his brother Abel. He has to flee from the Garden of, well, not from the Garden of Eden, but from the place of security where he and his brother have been living with Adam and Eve. He flees to that and he goes and lives in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And we're told that Cain makes love to his wife and she becomes pregnant. Um, Genesis 4 and verse 17 and gives birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad and Arad was the father of Mahuel and Mahuel was the father of Methuselah and Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Now listen, this is the next bit. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada, or Ada, gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played string instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. And, and we read, we go on to read, Adam made love to his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. And then this little verse at the end of that section, Genesis 4, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord, or it can be understood, the Hebrew can be understood, at that time, people began to proclaim the name of the Lord. Now, you might read that and think, well, so what? And just carry on. But it's interesting. As we read the story of Cain, this one who has left the, the security, in a sense, of God's presence, but also through his family laying down the foundations of our society. One of his sons, or one of his not sons, one of his great-grandchildren, is the father of those who lives in tents, Jabal. Another grandchild, um, Tubal Cain, is the one who forges all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. We have, in a sense, the agricultural stream of society, and we also have a very early proto-industrial stream of society. These are the descendants of Cain. But in the midst of these two big strains, we have this man, Jubal, who was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Now, you might read that and think, well, so what? But actually, what we're saying here is that the very earliest days of civilization, the very earliest times when society began to be structured, an agricultural strain in society and a, and a proto-industrial strain in society, music and musical instruments, stringed instruments and pipes, were at the heart of that. Now, of course, that wouldn't surprise those who are interested in ancient civilizations and ancient archaeology. There's plenty of evidence from the early civilizations in Egypt and elsewhere to see that music and an expression of singing or shouting or chanting or that type of thing, that broad description for an uh, outward sound of expression, that was at the heart of people's life, life together their communal life, their social life, their religious life, their, their, their preparation for battles, their understanding of what it was to be a society was often expressed musically and in song. That's at the very heart of early civilization. Therefore, when we read at the end of that section, 
at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord, or at that time people began to proclaim the name of the Lord, then it is not out with the bounds of possibility, but indeed very central to what's being said here, that part of that calling on the name of the Lord and part of that proclaiming the name of the Lord would have involved some form of vocalization, some form of music, some form of sound, some form of exclamation, vocally, loudly, publicly, a calling on the name of the Lord or an extolling of God's name. And so at the very beginning of civilization and the very beginning of people calling upon God, music, sound, instrumentation, vocalizing of faith, all of that was part and parcel of the ancient world and at the very heart of civilization. And we certainly see that, don't we? That vocalization of faith. Moving on in your Bibles, quite a bit on actually, to the book of Exodus. And we have, of course, that tremendous story of God's deliverance of his people. Um, and we read at the end of Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites, verse 29, went through the sea and dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, their servant. And then we read Exodus 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And then we have the song. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And it goes on to speak about what God has done, the mighty acts of deliverance. And it ends with this refrain, the Lord reigns forever and ever. And then we read that Miriam, verse 20, and the prophet Aaron's sister took a timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. What did people do? How did people express their thanksgiving to God? What was a sign of just how much they were blown away, literally, by the amazing deliverance God had done? Well, the sign, of a tangible sign of that was the fact that they sang this song of deliverance, Exodus 15. And then they saw people, a, a dance group, Miriam and, and others, taking up their timbrels and dancing. And Miriam, the lead vocalist, singing, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. And so music was at the heart of the celebration of God's people, a, a way of testifying, a way of proclaiming what God had done, his acts of deliverance. Not only thanking God for who he was, but speaking of and proclaiming about what he had done. And that, of course, follows on. If you want to move on in your Bibles, I appreciate we're doing a very quick step, rush through, but nonetheless, I think it's important to see these basic principles contained within the Bible. To the book of Joshua, to the book of Joshua, and of course, we have the well-known story there of the collapse of the walls round Jericho. Joshua chapter 6, Joshua chapter 6. And here, we, we read that they gather together, in Joshua chapter 6, a, a, a group of instrumentalists, um, seven priests carrying trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. 
and we're told in chapter 6 that they're to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets, verse 4 of chapter 6. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up everyone straight in. And so we have this procession, a priestly procession carrying trumpets, and we have the people, the ark being carried round, the symbol of God's presence, or the, containing within it the, the, the stones of the covenant that Lord had made with his people, a very sacred, powerful sign of God's commitment to his people, and they were to be marched round, and behind the words be the people. And so we read um, in, in verse 9 that the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark, and all this time the trumpets were sounding, and Joshua had commanded them, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you, then shout. And so they went round each day, adding on a time of going round. And we read in verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched round the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, where the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Devoted to the Lord. And we read that when the trumpet sounded, verse 20, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. A vocalization, a demonstration, a public proclamation of the people of God, of their faith in God, and of God's power and God's authority. The trumpet sounded, and the people gave a loud shout. A bit similar to the shout that later on in the book of Judges we read, they shouted out for the Lord and for Gideon. Perhaps it was for the Lord and for Joshua, or for the Lord and for God's people. Who knows? But that vocalization of faith and vibrancy and confidence in God and his power, and the walls came crashing down. And of course, later on in the story of Israel, Turn to the second book of Chronicles. The second Chronicles here, particularly the writer of the book of Chronicles, is keen to help the people to rediscover their worship, their worshipping life of God. The temple had been destroyed. The time Chronicles is written, the people are either in exile or returning from exile to the ruined city of Jerusalem. And the writer's keen to remind them from history of the temple and of the worship of God and all the things that took place in it. And so in First Chronicles, or rather at the beginning of Second Chronicles, we have the story of the building of the temple and of how great effort was made into that and how it's very part of the very, the, the very structure of, of, of organizing the temple worship Solomon organized that there would be musicians who would sound and sing. And so we read that, um, that after he had prayed and asked for God to, to fill the temple with his presence, we read that in Second Chronicles chapter 7, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When us, all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their feet to the, feet, faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good, his love endures forever. 
And later on, there's instructions about singers and about those who are to be involved in temple worship. And therefore, it's more than likely that when the Queen of Sheba arrived and, and visited um, the temple and saw the glory of the temple, when she saw all that had happened, we're told that she not only was she impressed by the building, but when she saw the, the, the temple worship, we're told in, in 2 Chronicles 9, that she was overwhelmed. She was overwhelmed with all that had happened and with the harps and the lyres that had been produced for the musicians. She was overwhelmed by that. So music, not necessarily the way we would sing, chanting, more choral type perhaps, um, and different expressions of that using musical instruments, the harps, the lyres, all of that was central to the worship of God. But not just to the worship of God. Later on in the book of Chronicles, we read it was central to them going into battle. Second Chronicles chapter 20, Second Chronicles chapter 20, and Jehoshaphat, who is raised up to be the deliverer of God, a new king who, who, who loved the Lord and who wanted to serve the Lord. Well, let's read more of what happened. Um, verse 18 of Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kothathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And early in the morning they left for the desert, and as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Israel, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord, and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness, as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. This chant, this refrain, which of course was at the heart of temple worship, and we did as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. A worship group, a praise band, singers going in front of the army, and as they sang, we're told, and as they praised, the Lord sent ambushes against God's enemies. Hezekiah, Second Chronicles 29, when the temple is rededicated and when the structure of life again is restored, there's continual story in the Old Testament of Israel being faithful to the Lord and temple worship being true to the Lord and going off and then coming back. But we read that when they did come back under Hezekiah's reign, and we read that he stationed, in Second Chronicles 29 and 25, he stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres in the way prescribed by David, and Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets. So the Levites stood ready with David's instruments and the priests with their trumpets. Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering at the altar, and as the offering began, singing to the Lord began also, accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship, for the musicians played and the trumpets sounded. And then we read that King Hezekiah and his official draw the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed down and worship. Do you get the idea of just how central to worship, the, how central to the, the, the testimony of faith that Israel had was the sound of singing, was musical instruments, was a loud proclamation of God and of his mighty acts. Now, of course, we know that. 
because the book of Psalms from beginning to end is a call to singing and to worship. The very word sing is over 70 times does the psalmist invite God's people to sing. It's the very heart that after all the Psalms are the songbook of the the Israeli church, of the, of the pre-Christian church in a sense, is a songbook. And it's songs that cover a whole range of experiences. For instance, um, way back in the early part of the book of Psalms, a psalm that the Lord himself quotes when he's on the cross, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? This is a song of, of, of pain, of sorrow, of grief. Um, of being destitute in a sense. And, and the Lord used those words, the words of that song, on the cross as he hung and suffered. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that, there is that exhortation to make known God's praise. I will declare your name, verse 22, to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. But for those who fear, I will fulfill my vows. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over them. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. That theme of praising God and doing that in the great assembly, a congregational setting, and someone or some group of people outwardly testifying to their love of God and their confidence in him. And of course, that's picked up in so many of the Psalms. Let me just read a few verses from one that's well-known. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say and sing among the nations. The Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. I don't think you can read that psalm and be quiet. It invites us it stirs us, as the previous psalm says, it causes us to come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And interesting enough, the prophet Isaiah particularly picks up that theme of music and of singing and of song as a sign of God meeting with his people and ultimately restoring his people, despite the fact that they are judged by him, they are going to be restored by him. Of course, that shouldn't surprise us, because Isaiah himself, we read that in the year King Josiah died, Isaiah had that vision of the Lord, of these angels. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet 
feet with two they were flying and they were calling out to one another an outward tangible audible proclamation they were calling out to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory and at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke that's pretty noisy and certainly quite an impact and the prophet goes on to say that when god yes will judge his people but also restore his people that when he does that we're told that in that day he writes in isaiah 26 this song will be sung in the land of judah we have a strong city god makes salvation its walls and ramparts open the gates that the righteous nation may enter the nation that keeps faith he says on that day this song will be sung and that theme's picked up later on in the prophet Isaiah. I'm sure you're by now starting to lose um, the ability to flick through your Bible this quick, and I can understand that, but just keep following with me. Later on in I, Isaiah 51, listen to this. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. And that theme of singing goes on. Those the Lord has rested will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee no more. And so the call therefore is for God's people to praise him. Do you get the idea? But it's not just us singing to God. There's a wee verse that I came across um, in my preparation for this that is beautiful actually beautiful the book of Zephaniah now you might not be able to find that very quickly in your Bibles and I understand the book of Zephaniah again speaks of God's restoration of God's restoration of his people who have been judged but who are now restored listen to this Zephaniah 3 and verse 19 sing daughter Zion Shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm on that day. They will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, in his love. He will no longer rebuke you. And listen but will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. The picture perhaps of a mother holding a child or an infant, cradling it in its arms, singing songs, songs to comfort, songs to assure the child, songs to bring hope and peace to that child. That's the picture. Songs of love for that child. That's the picture. The Lord and his love will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God sings over his people. No wonder the book of the Song of Songs tells us that when the couple, a picture of Christ and his church in many ways, when the couple fall in love, we're told, that the season of singing has begun as Christ and his church, as the bride and the lover, are united, the sound of singing. Time has nearly gone, and you're thinking, well, where's this going to? Well, going to very simply to remind us as we turn to the New Testament and perhaps far more briefly remind ourselves that singing and vocalizing the faith 
is at heart of the faith. Very movingly, very movingly in the book of, in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, we're told that as Jesus had been with the disciples and in that upper room as he broke bread and as he passed the cup and as he went through all of that significance, the Last Supper, the Gospel writers tell us that after he had shared in the bread and wine of communion, this is the blood of the covenant, Mark 14, and verse 24, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink at you in the kingdom of God. And we read that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It would have been one of the Psalms. A song of lament. A song of praise. A song of faith. A song of trust. Even as the Lord had broken bread, and shared in that Passover meal. And as he went out to be betrayed by Judas and let down by his disciples, as he was to hang on that cross and, and in a sense shout out the words of that song, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of all of that, we read that they sung a hymn, they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. And later on, of course, in the book of Acts, singing is also found. You remember the story, perhaps, of Paul and Silas in prison and of how they sing Acts 16. I think Acts 16, yes. And of how they sing in the midst of the circumstances therein. We read in Acts 16, verse 25, about midnight, they're been arrested. They're in prison in Philippi. Paul and Silas, what were they doing at midnight, sleeping? No, we're told that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to him. And it was as they were doing that, we're told that there was a violent earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken, at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains fell loose. There's something about praises, that's why the psalmist tells us the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He's enthroned in the praises of his people. Back to Psalm 22. He inhabits it. He's enthroned by the praises of people. And in the same way as when people shouted out to the Lord and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, as the people testified to the Lord as the Egyptians were washed away and, and, and delivered to death by God's mighty act of deliverance, so as Paul and Silas were praying and singing, the chains were released and the captives were set free. And that's why, of course, in Corinthians and in Ephesians and in Colossians, Paul has instructions about singing because he obviously sees that that's important. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about the various things that take place in worship. He talks about people speak, speaking in tongues and, and in various things. And this is what he also says. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since you do not know, since they do not know what you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. What's he saying here? He's saying, well, yes, the Holy Spirit stirs me to sing, but it's quite important that as we sing, like Israel of old, we testify to the Lord. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. We testify to God's great acts of deliverance. That can be done, vocally done, congregationally done, yes, personally done. That can be done so that others might 
hear and in hearing might believe and believing might be saved. And therefore it's important as we sing in the Spirit, nonetheless people who are visitors and inquirers can understand. You know, that's often a powerful witness, the worship of God's people. People coming into a gathering, to a congregation, into a fellowship, and people are singing praises to God. Even if they don't necessarily understand fully all that's going on, people can sense the reality of the mighty God inhabiting the praises of his people and filling them with his spirit and bringing glory to his name. That's something we can't do at the present time, and it's grievous. And that's therefore why later on in Ephesians, he makes quite clear instructions in Ephesians and in Colossians what people are meant to be do when they come together. He says, do not get drunk in wine, Ephesians 5 and verse 18, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sign of being filled with the Spirit is that one cannot help, even though one's not particularly tuneful, one cannot help giving thanks Thanks to God. A dear, our, old, our oldest member in terms of membership of the church was in, was in the quiet time, the, the, the private prayer, just the other day. And as we were coming out and talking, she was speaking about how sad it was that she couldn't come together in public worship. And she made the point. She says, I'm not saying that I'm particularly tuneful, but I would like to think I'm joyful. There's an old lady in her 90s testifying to the importance of praising God and joining in the assembly and giving thanks to him for who he is and for what he has done. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The writer to the book of James tells us, if anyone is happy, what should they do? Let them sing songs of praise. As we finish, and you're probably wearied by this time, and I do appreciate that, but as we finish, the book of Revelation sums up what, in a sense, the book of Genesis points towards. The book of Revelation, of course, is full of songs, of chants, of exclamations of what God is doing. Here we have in Revelation 4, we have the living creatures round the throne, and they never stop saying. So some form of audible exclamation, verse 8 of chapter 4, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to, is to come. Connection, by the way, to Isaiah when he saw the Lord and the glory of the Lord in the temple all those years before. And we read of the 24 elders gathering around the throne and laying down their crowns and saying again in an audibly way, you are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And then in chapter 5, we have this gathering of people round the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were, they, they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And what do we read? That these living creatures gathered round, and the elders gathered round the Lamb. We read in verse 9 of chapter 5, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And we move on, a loud voice that were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and might and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. An audible public 
testimony that echoes through the, the cavernous halls of heaven of how great God is. And that's repeated constantly through the book of Revelation. Revelation 15. Revelation 15, in these verses, here are God's people, those we're told who had been victorious, Revelation 15 and 2, who had been victorious over the beast and its image, over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And lastly, in our references, and as I say, I know you've done well, if you've kept up, you've done very well. Revelation 19, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting out loud, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments, he has condemned the great prostitute. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke goes up from her forever and ever. Hallelujah, again shouting, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Whew. Genesis to Revelation. Course is a place for being still in the presence of the Lord. Of course there is a place for being quiet in private reflection. Of course there is a place for being still before the maker of heaven and earth and knowing and acknowledging who God is. Of course there is. And of course, worship is far more than singing. And singing is far more than just the type of songs we might be familiar with, other hymns. Other ways of publicly exclaiming faith are part of that coverage. But from the beginning to the very end of the Bible, the Lord deserves us, privately at times, but also corporately and publicly, to call on his name and to proclaim his greatness. It was at the very beginning and it was at the very end and is at the very end. Heaven will be quite a noisy place sometimes. There'll be no face masks and there'll be every opportunity to lift your voice in praise, that number without number. And that's why the church not being able to vocalise their faith congregationally today is such a serious, and I would suggest grievous, thing. And we must thoughtfully reflect, especially if this present situation goes on for much longer, we must thoughtfully reflect on whether it's right to obey God or whether it's right to obey man. God or man, sing a you song to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, I'm very conscious that was a very quick and a very full coverage of your word, and yet we see from beginning to end how central that public vocalizing of faith and trust in you and of proclaiming who you are and what you have done is to the very life of your people. We're very conscious, Lord, at the present time, at this season, 
we are not able to do that. We are not allowed to sing. We have to wear our masks and we have relatively to be quiet in church. And Lord, we accept that this is for a season, perhaps for medical scientific reasons, but we also recognize that there is a higher calling, a higher responsibility, a higher issue at stake here of who you are and our calling as your people to make you known. And so guide us and lead us and help us to be able to testify that in our hearts, even if we can't publicly testify at the moment in song, in our hearts there rings a melody of love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.